praise. God, we give you all the honor today. Hallelujah, God, you're an awesome God. Jesus, you are righteous today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. I feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I feel faith. There's a response to God in this place today. Amen. There's nothing like being in church, in the presence of God, in the presence of His people. I look forward to it every service. Amen. It's good to have everybody here today. Good to have all of our guests and visitors. I do not believe that you are here by accident. I don't believe that you're here just because somebody invited you. But I believe that you are here because God has made a way for you to be here. That he divinely arranged you to be here today. Amen. I don't believe in coincidences in the kingdom of God. But God has a complete plan for your life. And if you've never felt what you feel in this place today, I'm just going to tell you, just yield to it because it's just the Spirit of God. Just yield to it and let Him work in your life today. Amen. We were singing about miracles and that miracles can happen in this place today. And, and I, I believe that. A lot of times we look at miracles as maybe a great healing in the body, a physical healing. I believe that can happen here today. And we look at it as, you know, as miracles, as great signs and wonders. But today, as we were singing about miracles and going into this message today, I pray that there would be a miracle that would happen in our hearts. Sometimes the greatest miracles are not necessarily seen on the outward, are felt in the physical body. But some of the greatest miracles are when there is a shift or a transition in the heart. When there's a change of mind. When God comes down and begins to speak to somebody. I look back at my life and I remember certain times. I remember being about 16 years old and having a moment at the altar. And it was a miracle. God spoke to me. And from that moment on, I was forever changed. And I believe that God wants to do something like that in your life today. I believe that miracles can happen in this place today. Amen. Do you believe with me? Amen. I just wanted to mention quickly before we turn to Matthew 25, and on our way there, I just wanted to mention um, that we did have a great junior camp. Uh, there was, the kids were responding to the Holy Ghost. Uh, many were filled and refilled with the Holy Ghost, so we just thank all those who helped out with junior camp, and also all the, for our, oh, we celebrate what happened in our revival services last week. Uh, many were, were filled with the Holy Ghost. There was a boost of faith, and, and I'm just excited about what God is doing right now and what he's going to do, what he has planned to do. And I just wanted to thank everybody for being a part of that in prayer and also serving and all the other things that went along with those services. Amen. I didn't want to mention family camp. If you are breathing in this place and you are able to get time off of work, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, do not miss family camp, okay? It is such a a powerful thing. It's a great time of just being away from things for a little bit, fellowshipping with the people of God, and you will be blessed if you go to family camp. So if you need any more details on that, please talk to me. Also, I did want to mention that we do have new parking lot stripes. We're so excited about them, and... uh, (laughs) On the east side of the church, the diagonal stripes, um, they were measured wrong. Okay, I didn't measure them. And uh, he didn't, you know, I knew right away what happened when they, when they started telling me what, what I, he, they didn't mag, measure the perpendicular between the lines, they measured the angle, and they're all about, you know, 10 inches, maybe even closer to a foot, um, too narrow, um, so... 
just bear with them for the next couple of weeks. They're actually going to come back and sandblast them and repaint them. So what a tragedy. <laughs> but uh, I don't expect you guys all to drive smart cars so you can fit, fit into those parking spots. But if you got to, just, just take the room. Just pretend there's no lines there for now. Um, maybe keep the handicapped um, available. And if you would, if you're a young family, you guys don't need to park up in the front. Okay? And I'm saying that to myself, too. There's some elderly, um, some older elders in the church. Just leave a few of those spots. And even if you're elderly and you don't have any handicaps on, you're allowed to park in those couple spots up in the front. We want to leave those for our elders. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. Says for the, I'm going to read a few uh, verses here. But it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. And to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And verse 16 says, Then he had that received the five talents, went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, if thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make the ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. In verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, a good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. And thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. And for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And I want to key in on that last verse. And basically what the master said, he made this point. He said, to the one who invested, he will have an abundance. But to the one who wasted, it shall be taken away. And I want to preach to you today with this title, A Promised Purpose and a Wasted Potential. A promised purpose and wasted potential. You can be seated today in Jesus' name. I believe wholeheartedly that every child of God has been given a kingdom purpose. That there is a plan from God already um, ordained. There's been a path that's already been paid for you. I actually, I say this all the time to people, that God has a plan for you, that he wants to use you in specific ways, that he's already paved a way. I say it all the time because I really believe it. I believe that each and every single one of you in this room today, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I believe that. 
The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. We understand that he knows the end from the beginning, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. God has a plan. And if he started a good work in your life, the Bible says that he wants to be, he, want, he has intentions of finishing that good work in your life. God has a plan. And I believe his plan is a lot of times bigger than we can even imagine. We use the verse in Ephesians 3.20, we quote this all the time, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God is able to do things that we can't even imagine that we can do. He's able to do things that we never thought that we could do. God has a plan. If, if, if you... If, as you think personally about yourself, if your plan is something that you can only imagine, you're not thinking big enough. God's plan is bigger than what you can even think of in your life. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. The Bible says, how much more shall our heavenly Father give good gifts unto his children. He has uh, the right things in mind for us. He wants to give us an expected end. So I believe that if, if you are a child of the king in this place, that you have great potential in the kingdom of God. Amen. If you're a child of the king, you have resources at your fingertips that God wants you to use, and you have great potential for kingdom work. I believe that. So I propose this question today to everyone in this place. Are you living in your full potential in God? You can ask yourself that. Are you living in the full potential, in your full potential in God? Are you living for him as hard as you can? Are you seeking him with everything that you have? Have you surrendered all? I think these are all good questions that we should ask ourselves, that when we, when we give ourselves a quick inventory and when we audit ourselves, these are questions that we should ask. Are we living in our full potential? And if the answer to any of these questions is no, then you have to ask yourself, why not? What is holding me back? Because Life has a way of throwing stumbling blocks in your way. The, the enemy has a way of uh, distracting you. So you have to ask yourself, what is holding me back? What is distracting me from living in my full potential in God? What do I have my eye on that is keeping me from really being and doing what God wants me to be and do? What is distracting me. I said it already, but the enemy is a master at derailing us from the path of our full potential. But Jesus came to give us life, and he came to give us life that's more abundant. Not just normal, not just average life, but he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And the enemy likes to intercept this by killing and stealing and destroying. He's a master of it. So we have to ask ourselves, has the enemy interrupted my path to my potential? And if he has, what are those stumbling blocks that he's put up in my life? Because I desire to be at my full potential in God. I desire to be exactly what God wants me to be. I want to be the man of God, the, the lady of God. I want to be the mother and the father. and I want to be the saint that God has called me to be. That should be our attitude. That should be our main concern. 
And we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Are you with me today? We read in Scripture of people being distracted from their purpose. We read right away in Genesis 3. And we're going to see a common theme. We, we read in Genesis 3, of, in 3 verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So we have Eve in the garden. She saw there was a distraction. There was a roadblock put up on the path of her purpose. And she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And she did eat. And of course, we understand that she had been instructed not to eat, not even to touch that tree. And we know that this led to, to the nature of sin that we still um, deal with today because the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it, it derailed her from her purpose and the plan of God. We read on in Genesis 13, in verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. This is when Lot and Abraham had separated. And it says that Lot lifted up his eyes. In verse 12, it says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. So again, Eve saw that the tree was good for food. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. And it says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He first pitched his tent towards Sodom, a little time went by and he ended up in Sodom. A little more time went by and Sodom ended up in him. And that's how this goes. We read story after story of people getting distracted and derailed from their purpose because of what they've been looking at, what they've been focused on. You begin to look and focus on certain things and it will become your destiny. We read later on the conquest of, of Joshua and the Israelites into the promised land in Gen uh, Joshua chapter 7 and verse 12. And this is when they, you know, they fought the battle of Jericho and they won that. And then there was this battle at Ai. And they had lost the battle and, they, and Joshua couldn't figure out why. And, and the Lord told Joshua, there's somebody in the camp who didn't uh, listen to me. He took the spoils from the enemy and he wasn't supposed to. So they, they did this. They went through all the, the tribes of Israel and every clan and they, they found the man that took the spoils. And it, and it was the reason that they had lost the battle at Ai. And this man's name was Achan. And in Joshua 7 and verse 12, it says, this is Achan speaking. And, and Joshua confronted him with his sin. He says, when I saw among the spoils, a goodly Babylonish garment. It says, when I saw that beautiful garment, and I saw the silver, and I saw the gold, I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth and in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Achan was derailed from the plan of God because he coveted, he saw this beautiful Babylonian garment and this silver and this gold and it, it pulled him from an Israelite victory that day. It was the cause of the defeat because one man got derailed and began to look at other things that were not part of the kingdom. We even read in Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted, the enemy has no new tricks. Matthew 4 and 8 says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. He took Jesus up and he showed him 
all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He tried to get Jesus to see, tried to tempt him into sin. It's what the enemy does. It's one of his tricks. But I'm here to tell you today that it matters what you are looking at. It matters what your eyes are set on. It matters what you are focused on. Because what you are looking at and what you are focused on will ultimately be your destiny. What you are sowing right now into your mind and into your heart through your eyes will eventually be what you will be reaping. It matters where your eyes are looking. It matters what your focus is on. A promised purpose and wasted potential. Are we living in our full potential in God? We turn to Judges chapter 13 and we read the story of Samson. Very interesting story. Judges 13 and verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. And there was a certain man of Zoar, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So we have a plan of God that had been spoken and a promise was going to be birthed through this child named Samson. We understand that as we read through Scripture that there was promises that were birthed when God chose himself a people through Abraham and Sarah, the promised child Isaac was born. And, and when God wanted to, the, to deliver Israel from Egypt, uh, there was two people, Amram and Jochebed, who had a baby, Moses, who was going to deliver them out of Egypt. And, and later, when Israel needed a revival, God sent a prophet named Samuel through his mother, Hannah. And when the fullness of time was come, we read in the New Testament that God gave Mary a baby, Jesus. So we read of these promised children all through Scripture. And in the, most of these cases, the candidate to, to birth the promise was, was an unlikely candidate. Can anybody sit here today and say, I feel like an, I'm an unlikely candidate for a promise? I think most of us probably feel that way, but these mothers, they were either barren, they were too old, or in the case of Mary, she was too young. She wasn't even married yet. She was still a virgin, an unlikely candidate. But God has a plan, he has a purpose, and he has a promise for every unlikely candidate in this room today. I believe that. So if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, no, not me, God's saying, yeah, you. Yeah, you. I got a plan for you. If you're thinking, I've gone too far, I've been distracted for too long, God's saying, no, I still have a plan for you. <laughs> Amen. The giftings and the callings of God on your life, God, they are without repentance, <laughs> Okay, so God, that plan, no matter where, you at, where you're at in life, is still there. God wants you to come back to that plan. He wants it to be fulfilled in your life. So if you think that you are an unlikely candidate, ask Sarah, ask Hannah, ask Mary about being an unlikely candidate to, to birth a promise. 
So we've been given these promises and purpose, and we have to, um, as, a, as children of the king and, 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 and with a kingdom mindset, we have to unpack these promises. So the angel of God appeared to Manoah, a Manoah's wife, and, and she told him what the angel had spoken. He, uh, Manoah's wife told Manoah about this, and Manoah, uh, Manoah um, began to pray that this man would reappear to give him instruction on what he was to do with this promised child, Samson. Like, how are they, how are they supposed to raise him? And, and, and he, he wanted more instruction from God. And Manoah had faith that what this man had spoken, he didn't, they didn't know that he was an angel at the time, but they had faith that what this man had spoken was going to come to pass. But he seemed to want more instruction on what he was to do. And we read in Judges 13 and 12, it says, And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? Basically saying, how are we supposed to raise this, this child? How are we supposed to uh, um, basically let this promise succeed? And it's interesting, you read in verse 13, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. He basically said, I already told you. I already gave you the instruction." So when seeking the will of God, when seeking the promise, when trying to understand the plan, oftentimes our tendency is that we want the specifics. Can I get an amen? I've prayed for specifics, and I never got specifics. I've prayed for God, I need another word. God's like, I already told you. I already gave you the instruction. And that's exactly what the angel of the Lord said. I already gave your wife the instruction. You don't need any more. But we oftentimes want to be told more. We want the specifics. We want the, the, the details. We want some secret answer or secret sauce for the promise. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We want the secret sauce to the promise. And, and uh, Samson's parents, in their zeal and in their love for their child and in their faith that they, they believed that this was going to happen, they pushed for an answer. But all they got was a reminder just to do what you know to do. And I believe that's probably the best advice that you can get in the pursuit of your promise. Just do which you know to do. Just do it. Just keep obeying God. Understand that Manoah and his wife, they knew what the Nazarite vow was. They had been given the law of Moses. There was already instruction on what the Nazarite vow was all about. And he said, listen, I just told you to raise this child from his birth as a Nazarite that he would keep this vow. So they already knew what to do, but they wanted more. And they just got reminded, just do what you know to do. I'm here to tell you that a lot of times we are in pursuit of the secret sauce, but God's just asking for faithfulness. I would say that faithfulness is the secret sauce. It's just showing up. It's just putting one foot in front. Of, I think I preached about this two weeks ago. <laughs> it's just being faithful, just continuing, doing what you know to do, and God will continue to order your steps. When unpacking the promise, don't always seek for another word from God. Just do what you know to do. And faithfulness and obedience will take you a lot further than you think. Amen. But we, we read on in the story of Samson. We read through the four chapters in the book of Judges given to Samson. And we see a promised child that was given a specific purpose. But he seemed to get sidetracked. 
His purpose was clearly stated that he was to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of the Philistines. And the Philistines ruled over Israel for about 40 years. And and Samson was a judge of Israel for about 20 years. And and God had this plan and this purpose that he was going to use Samson to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of their enemies, the Philistines. And we read moments of miracles. We read these great moments where the Spirit of God would, would come upon Samson in a mighty way. And there was hope as we read through this, but, but then, we, then we keep reading, there seemed to be um, things that he was doing wrong. And he, was, he, was, he got off track and he wasn't doing what God had called him to do. We read of the Spirit of the Lord when he came on him mightily. The 30 men he killed and he took their garments to fulfill his debt to his wedding party. We read of the 300 foxes that he caught and he, he tied their tails together and, and put a torch in there and they were sent out to burn the fields of the Philistines, burning much of their crops. And, and we read of the thousand Philistines that, that Samson had slain with the jawbone of a donkey, a new jawbone of a donkey, the Bible says. And we read of when he tore the gates right out of their foundations in Gaza. And we read of these mighty miracles. And certainly the Lord was working through Samson in these instances. But we continue to read of his bad decisions and the direction that he kept looking. We read in Judges in 14.1, it says, And Samson went down to Timnah. And he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He saw a woman. And we we read the story. They were supposed to get married and things went bad at the wedding party with the riddle that he had tried to trick them with. And he ran back to his parents' house, came back to get get his wife. And his his to-be father-in-law gave his wife to his best man. What a tragedy. Well, maybe it's probably a good thing. But he saw a woman in Timnah, a daughter of the Philistine. We read on later in in Judges 16 and 1. It says, then went Samson to Gaza. Keep in mind, Gaza was a Philistine city. And he saw there an harlot and went in unto her. We keep seeing these situations where Samson was in the wrong place. He, I don't know what he had any business being in, in, the Philist, in, 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 in these towns of the Philistines for looking for women. We read on in Judges 16 and 4, it says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Fell in love with this lady named Delilah in the valley of Sorek. So Samson was a man called by God, full of promise and potential. And it seems that he squandered much of what God wanted him to do by being distracted with the things that appealed to the flesh, which in his case was unsanctioned relationships. So read this story, and it has great instructional value for our walk with God today. We can ask ourselves, am I squandering my potential in God? Am I seeking worldly advances, or am I seeking kingdom victories? What do I think about all day. If God had a chance, he doesn't need to do this, but if he had a chance to go on your phone and look at your search engine and the videos you're watching, the articles that you're reading, would he say that you are kingdom-minded or are you advancing for worldly things? What are we spending our time on? What are we spending our energy doing? And I'll even ask, where's our money going? 
Is it all for worldly advances? Or are we seeking the kingdom of God first? Are we kingdom-minded? Number of tough questions. There's no amens right now. But as a child of God, called with purpose, we have to make sure that we are not yoked together with things that don't align us with kingdom purpose. That's just the bottom line. The things that you're yoked to, the things that you're thinking about, the things that you desire, the things that you spend time studying about and reading about and dreaming about, are they kingdom-minded? Or are they worldly advances? It's a tough question. In Samson's case, it was a relationship with the daughters of the Philistines. But it could be many things in our lives. It could be our very own pride. It could be our very own opinion. Sometimes we get so in love with our opinion that we worship it, we idolize it. It could be things of the past. It could be just simple things. You know, the Bible talks about the works of the flesh. Paul talked about it in in Galatians 5 and 16. He says, then I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary one to another so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. He says, but if you are be led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are, are manifest, which are these, and he, he gives a, a list of these works of the flesh. He, he names them out loud. He says adultery. So that's a work of the flesh. If you're committing adultery, you're not walking in the spirit. Fornication, uncleanness. Uncleanness simply means impure motives. That's something I, I personally I ask myself all the time. What is my motive? Why am I handling this situation the way I do? Sometimes I get done with a conversation and I ask myself, why did I say that? What was my motive? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times it's self-preservation and it's pride. Because we say things a certain way to make things look better than they are. What are our motives? The Bible lists lasciviousness, which is just simple unbridled lust. This is idolatry, putting things before God. Witchcraft. This is an interesting one. Witchcraft, we think that's just satanic worship. But if you actually look up what witchcraft means, the Greek word is pharmakai. And the very first definition of witchcraft in the Greek lexicon is the use of administering drugs. So all these pills that everybody's taken for depression and mental health, it's a cover-up by Satan. Because if we do that, then we don't have to turn to God. That's hard preaching. But that's what it says. And I'm not against medicine. Okay? There's a time and a place for this stuff. But when we are taking things to help us cope with life, when Jesus is standing here saying, listen, I want to be your joy. I want to give you peace. Amen. I want to give you a peace that passes all understanding. And Satan's over here, listen, I got these pills for you. Okay, they'll help you with your anxiety. They'll help you with your depression. The Bible calls that witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Variance simply means contention. Are you contentious? Emulations, which means envious rivalry. Are you jealous? Do you celebrate your sister's victory? Do you celebrate your brother's victory? Do you celebrate when so-and-so 
gets touched by God and, and God uses them in a certain way or is there a seed of jealousy in your heart? These are the works of the flesh. Wrath, passionate anger, strife. Strife means electioneering for position. Do you seek position? Do you seek to be asked to do great and mighty things? Do you seek to put yourself forward? That's a work of the flesh. Seditions, just divisions. Heresies are divisions arising from the diversity of opinion. Again, we talked about worshiping our opinion. Just remember, your opinion could be wrong. You could be wrong. Right? You could be wrong. You may not think you could be, but you could be. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past. Paul is very direct here. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. Can I get an amen? Remember the works of the flesh. We don't need to be yoked with the things of the flesh. We don't need to be yoked with the daughters of the Philistines. We don't need the distraction of Delilah in our lives. The world will lure you in. It'll pressure you. It'll try to persuade you that you need this or you need that. And, and you doing these things is okay. And there's a, the, the Satan has a way of justifying things in a way that makes sense to our flesh. But we don't need another distraction. And pretty soon, just like Samson, you'll be sleeping in the world's lap. And the world will cut the power of God off in your life. Just as Delilah did in Samson's life through the cutting of his hair. The symbol of his vow that he had made from God. Interesting enough, Samson found Delilah in the valley of Sorek. And this was a valley known for its particular vines, for its choice vines and and. He was a Nazarite. He wasn't even supposed to be around vines. He wasn't even supposed to be drinking wine or eating grapes. So why was he in the valley of choice vines? And this, this seemed to be something that he kept on doing, finding himself in the wrong places. And this is where he found his distraction named Delilah, a daughter of the Philistines. And we understand that this is how things go in life. When we read Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We have this progression that takes place in this verse that you would first walk by the counsel of the ungodly. And then you could find yourself standing there. You first walked by, and now you're standing in the way of sinners. And after you walked by and after you stood there, you'll eventually find yourself sitting in the seat of the scornful. And this all starts from a look in the wrong direction. It all starts from a little stumbling block in the path of your potential and the enemy trying to derail you. 
We read of the end of Samson's life, and we read that he gave up his secret to Delilah of his great strength. And when the symbol of his power from God was cut off, he became weak, just like any other man. And no longer had that power of God in his life, and it says that the Philistines captured him. And we read in Judges 16 and 21, it says, But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with the fetters of brass and did grind in the prison house. It's very interesting that the first thing they did was pluck out his eyes. They made him blind. It was the, the thing that had kept him from his full potential was his eyes, and they plucked them plucked out. We read the next verse. It says, How be it the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And I, I, was, I was reading this, and I'm like thinking, man, sometimes the enemy isn't very smart. If they'd have been smart, they'd have left his eyes, and they would have cut his hair. That's not what they did. Instead of plucking out his eyes, they should have plucked out his hair. But Samson being imprisoned and and shamed, knew that his eyes weren't coming back. But he realized and he felt that his hair was beginning to grow again. And the Bible records this for a reason. He remembered and he began to see what his purpose was, his Nazarite vow, his consecration to God and the power that he once held And we read the story of him standing between those pillars. And I don't believe Samson was this big muscular guy like the pictures depict. Because it wasn't because of his, his own might that he did these great things. It was because of the power and the strength from God. So he was probably, probably looked like me. Not muscular, little belly. But they put him between those pillars and at, and he, he pushed those pillars down, and, and at this point, he was able to kill more Philistines than he had in his entire life when he pushed over the pillars at this Philistine party. He said there was about 3,000 Philistines that were killed. And it's interesting because our purpose and our calling cannot be fulfilled in the flesh by the things that we see. But when Samson's physical eyes were shut, he was then able to perform his greatest victory in God. They plucked out his eyes. I just want to remind you today that God has great things for you. And the best thing that we can do is just continue to lean on him for that great power and not try to push anything in our flesh. Not get distracted by the things that we see. A promised purpose. God does not want us to waste our potential on fleshly things. So child of God, I believe today that there needs to be some physical eyes plucked out so that there could be some spiritual eyes that would see. We understand all through Scripture, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible says that, well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's stand in this place today. I just want to remind you that God has a promised plan for your life. And he does not want you to be distracted from your full potential by the things that you see in your flesh.
today as the musicians would come, I believe it would be appropriate that if you've been battling something in the flesh, if you've been distracted by certain things, that God is he's faithful and just to forgive. He, he wants to get you on the right track today. He wants to give you a, a new vision of that direction. And he wants you truly to live in your full potential. And honestly, I think I've said this before, but, but it's interesting because and I don't know I don't know if it's just my if it's just maturity, maybe not. But when I became a pastor, things began to change on how you look at circumstances. Things began to change on how you look at people. And as a pastor, there's nothing that I want more than for every child of God, every man, woman, and child in this room to live in their full potential in God. There's nothing I want more. And it's, and it's funny because I, I feel like God gives me glimpses of people's potential. And then I see him kind of walking in ways that are contrary to this path. And it grieves me. And I, I pray and I hope and I encourage but ultimately, you've got to make that decision. You've got to, to, to pluck out those physical eyes and decide that you're going to look through the lens of the spiritual glasses that God has given you. And if you do that, he will lead you. Okay? He will guide you and he will show you the way. Amen. So today the altars are open. I pray that somebody today would get a renewed vision of what God wants to do in their lives. Maybe today you would come up here and you would say, God, you, you spoke to me a while back and you've been nudging me in this direction. I'm not asking for another word, but God, I want to renew my vision in you. I want my faith to be renewed in what you want to do in my life. God, I want nothing more than what you want me to do, than what you want me to be. In the name of Jesus, God, I love you today. I magnify you today. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. God, I pray that you would touch every man, woman, and child in this place. God, every father and every mother. God, I pray that today somebody would just renew that promise in their life. God, that there would be a renewed purpose. God, in the name of Jesus, God, that there would be a, some spiritual vision. God, that would be cast forth in this place today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, thank you.